Hey, well, hey, everybody. Welcome to Dig Deep. I shared with you last week that I love a good home transformation. I could look at before and after photos all day long. And so I'm sure it will not come as a surprise to you that one of my favorite shows is Fixer Upper, right? Exactly. I like to imagine that Joanna Gaines and I would be best friends if we met in real life. We just have so much in common. And everyone who knows me really well knows that I am a huge, huge fan of this show. We have four kids, my husband and I, and our youngest is named Joanna. And she is named after four very important women in our families. But I had multiple friends ask me if we named our daughter after Joanna Gaines because they know that's how big of a fan I am. For those of you who have never seen the show before, um, bow your heads, let me pray for you. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. But if you have never seen the show before, it's really very similar to a lot of other home makeover shows. The format is pretty simple and straightforward. There's a married couple, Chip and Joanna Gaines, and they take a client house hunting, and they show them three really beaten up old houses. That's where the show gets its name, Fixer Upper. Now, eventually, those clients have to choose between those three homes, and they very nervously call Chip and Joe and say, okay, this is the fixer-upper that we want to take on. And then it's demo day, and Chip goes in with his crew, and they rip everything out, get the house almost down to its studs in most cases, and then... Joanna has the opportunity to really shine. She is a design master. She is a visionary. She is able to see it and then draw it and then make it a reality with actual drywall and flooring and paint and decor. And so it's no surprise to me that the show is such a success. They truly are miracle workers. But there are some episodes where I get very annoyed with certain clients who are on the show. And they annoy me because they have a really hard time placing their trust in Joanna Gaines. They hem and haw over really dumb things like how ugly the carpet is, or they'll complain and be like, I just can't see it, it's just so dark in this room. And I want to reach through the television and say to them, have you never seen this show before? You can pick any one of these houses, and when she is done with it, it will be your dream home. And so really, you're better off just choosing which neighborhood you wanna live in or what street you wanna live on, and then just go with that. She is gonna make this home your dream home. While those clients are annoying to me because they are slow to trust Joanna, I do always love at the end of the show with those particular clients, when they finally see the revealed final home, they always say, it's better than I ever could have imagined. I don't know why I doubted you. For real transformation to take place, you have to place your trust in the designer. And that's what Paul wants to drive into our hearts today, I believe. For real transformation to take place, you have to place your trust in the designer. So let's read Romans 12, verse 1 together. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. So last week, we forced ourselves to soak in the truth that any real transformation in our lives is possible because of one thing and one thing only, God's mercy. 
And Paul shows us in the rest of verse 1 that there is a logical exchange that takes place. God has reached down and saved us by his mercy, and our response is to turn and worship him. Well, what does that worship really look like? What Paul says is our true and proper worship is to offer our bodies, our very selves, to him as a living sacrifice. Now, for Paul's original listeners, especially for the Jewish believers in the Roman church, this made perfect sense to them. Worshiping for them had always meant sacrifice. In the Jewish faith, God called his people to worship him by bringing sacrifices to him. And the sacrifices that God called his people to bring were always the first and best of whatever they had, livestock, harvests, income. And by bringing their first and their best to him as a sacrifice, they were demonstrating their trust in God. By bringing their sacrifices, the people of God were acknowledging that he is the one who forgives sin. He is the one who provides for our needs, and he is the one worth trusting with everything that we have. And so the sacrifices they brought were an outward expression of an inward reality. Now for us, when we think of worship, our minds can quickly jump to singing worship songs at weekend services at a church. And while those two things look really different, they're essentially the same. They're an outward expression of an inward reality. And it's the outward expression of the heart that is living daily in trust and allegiance and surrender to God. What we sing about on the weekends is intended to be an outward expression of what we're living out throughout the week, day by day. Now, here's what I want you to consider for a moment. Do you remember last week the issue that we talked about that the Romans in the Roman church were facing, that Paul is writing this letter to them in the midst of this conflict? They are arguing over whether non-Jewish Christians should keep the traditional Jewish laws, like eating kosher, observing circumcision, honoring the Sabbath in a certain way. See, the Roman church at the time was struggling with something I think we all struggle with. They were so concerned with the outward expression that they started to lose sight of the importance of the inward reality. And so for the Jewish believers, worship meant sacrifices and laws and traditions that they had observed since their childhood. And for us, it might look different. It might be the songs that we sing or spiritual disciplines we practice or maybe just churchy things that we do. And if we're not careful, we can get so caught up in maintaining the outward appearance of worship that we neglect the inward reality, the state of our hearts. And Paul is saying to us here that true and proper worship is to offer our bodies, our lives, our very selves as living sacrifices to God. Not just the best of our money or our time or our giftedness, but all of it, all of ourselves, our whole lives given to him because he's trustworthy. He's trustworthy. But we will resist that process because we struggle with trust. Just like the clients on Fixer Upper, sometimes we struggle to trust the designer as though we've never seen the show before as though we don't know how the story ends. See, our worship is directly connected to our transformation because real worship is handing our lives over to him to allow him to transform them. When we bring God our lives and say, I trust you with all of it, you lead the way, I give you control, that is the true beginning of transformation. 
And then Paul shows us what that will look like to give us an idea of how that actually works as he continues into verse 2. He says, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. And then he says, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Here's what Paul is pointing out, I believe, in verse 2. Every day, you have two options. You can conform or be transformed. And we don't like to think that we are conformists. I personally want to believe that I am completely free to do whatever I believe is best and right at any given moment without being influenced by those around me. My good friend, Stacia, who's one of our awesome group leaders, was telling me recently about a 1962 experiment that was um, partnered with Candid Camera and it was called Face the Rear. It was a social psychology experiment that took place in an elevator. Have you, have you seen this? Yeah? If you haven't, you can look it up on YouTube later. It's really, really hilarious, in my opinion. In that experiment, they had an innocent test subject walk into an elevator and hit the button for their floor and just stand there waiting for the doors to close. And then one at a time, they added confederates of the experiment into the elevator to push the button, but those people stood facing the back of the elevator. And you can immediately see the poor innocent test victim see the wheels turning in their mind. Like, what is this person doing? Why are they facing the back of the elevator? But then they add another person and another. And the more people face the back of the elevator, you can see people start to kind of freak out. Like, what am I supposed to do? Why is everybody facing the other way? And some people just give in and they kind of try to play it cool, but then they eventually just turn and, and face 180 to the back. And then there's this poor young guy who I just feel so bad for because they just push him to his limits. Not only do they face the back, but then once they're there on each floor, everybody turns like a quarter of the way. And the poor guy's like, oh, oh, what are we doing now? And then even at the end, some of the guys start taking their hats off and he takes his hat off. He's like so miserable. And my favorite is the guy who tries to play it so cool that he doesn't turn it all the way around. He just kind of like turns halfway. And I think that would be me. See, sometimes when I watch these things on candid camera, I think, oh, these poor, poor people. But I ask myself the question, what would I do? What would I really do? Because I like to believe that I would just laugh at all those people and be like, you guys are ridiculous. Why are you facing the back of the elevator? And I would just hold my ground. But I wonder, I wonder what I would really do in that situation. See, it would be so naive for us to believe that we can surround ourselves with a set of values, habits, language, types of entertainment, and not be affected by them. A few years ago, at an extended family gathering, um, we were talking about a movie that had just recently come out that had some questionable content in it, and people were talking about whether they were gonna see it or not, and one particular extended family member asked my husband, well, don't you ever think that there's something called entertainment just for entertainment's sake? And my husband paused and thoughtfully said, no, no, I don't think there's such a thing as entertainment for entertainment's sake. See, I wanna believe that I'm free to do whatever I think is right and best at any given moment, but our actions flow from what's inside us and we make choices every day about what we allow to take up residence 
inside us, in our hearts, in our minds, the things that we immerse ourselves in, ourselves in every day. And so we start to conform to a pattern. That's the language Paul used. It's either the pattern of this world or it's the pattern of God. And one way leads to life and the other leads to death. And see, this isn't Paul's first time hitting on this idea of conformity in the book of Romans. He speaks on it in chapter 1 and again in chapter 6. Listen to what he says in Romans chapter 6, verses 11 through 14. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness. For sin shall no longer be your master because you are not under the law, but under grace. Do you hear the heart of Romans 12, 1 and 2 in those verses? You have been saved by grace And that grace reminds our hearts that he is good and loving and trustworthy. And the only appropriate response is to give our lives over to him. We are all giving our lives to someone or something. We don't like to admit it, but we are. And Paul says, don't let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. The more you let these things take up space in your heart and in your mind, you will Conform to them. Your behavior will flow from that place. He says, instead, offer yourselves to God. Offer every part of yourself to him, he says in Romans 6. Do you see how that's reflected when he gets to Romans 12? Offer every part of yourself to him. Offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. Don't conform to the pattern of this world. God is saying, let me transform you. And here's the thing, and Many of you already know this and you've experienced this in your life, but we need to be reminded his way always leads to life and the way of the world leads to death every single time. And what we find when we walk away from God and toward this world, toward whatever feels right to us in the moment, we know from experience it's nothing but emptiness and pain. Our hearts get broken, our bodies get addicted, our minds grow numb, our souls start to atrophy and we experience doubt, fear, and things can start to feel meaningless. That's why Paul calls it the pattern of this world. It's a pattern and it's the same every single time. And we know it, but we still fall into it. We know that it's sucking us in, but we let ourselves be sucked in anyway. And so we read in God's word that we should store up treasure in heaven instead of here on earth. But our desires so easily conform to the world around us, to the messages in this world. I need this or I need that to make me happy. And then we do whatever it takes to get that thing. Instead of finding our identity in Christ, our sense of identity begins to conform to what the world tells us it should be. We start to believe I am the sum of my accomplishments. I am the current climate of my feelings. I am my sexual desires. I am as loved as my Instagram account says that I am. And it's a lie. Later this semester, we are going to read in Romans 12 some difficult teachings about love and humility and forgiveness But we are going to be fighting against the current of our culture that wants us to take our cues from trashy reality TV. 
And without realizing it, we start to exchange God's words about forgiveness and grace and love for phrases like, oh, no, she didn't, and bye, Felicia. That we seriously allow those things to take up residence in our hearts, and they start to influence our behaviors. And you want to believe that you're living a life of freedom, but you aren't. We want to believe that we aren't influenced by the world around us, but we are daily drawn toward a pattern that steals life from us and pulls us away from the one who offers real life. And so we are going to get real about this this week. We are going to get serious about it. We need to ask ourselves some tough questions. We need to pray about some areas of our lives that maybe we've never prayed about before. And so I encourage you to ask some questions in time of prayer with God this week. Where do I spend my time? What do I think will make me happy? What am I orienting my life around? What do I spend my money on? What am I filling my mind with in the evenings when I watch TV? Who am I following on social media and how much time do I spend on those apps and how is it affecting me really? Because Paul is warning us with love, what you're conforming to, it's a pattern and it's the same every time and it's not the way that leads to life. And so I believe for many of us today, that is what God wants to talk with us about. That habit, that show, that app, that store, that thing that has started to take up residence in our hearts for too long. And it might not even be something bad. And sometimes I think those are trickier even because we can excuse it away like, well, it's fine. It's okay. There's nothing wrong with what I'm doing, but it's taking up space in our heart and it's ultimately leading us to actions that are not life-giving. And setting some of those things aside will probably feel like a sacrifice. And we don't like the idea of sacrifice. We want control. We want to believe we can have it all. We want what we think is freedom. But real freedom, real life, is found on the other side of submission to the one who is fully pure, fully holy, the one who created us and loves us. Submission leads to freedom. Paul says, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. It's giving your life fully over to God that allows transformation to take place. See, the word Paul uses here for transformed is the Greek word metamorpho. And this, of course, is the root word for our Latin word, metamorphosis. Meta meaning change and morph meaning shape. See, the transformation that Paul is talking about is not becoming a slightly better version of yourself. It's not just improving a little bit. It's not about behavior modification. He's talking about a complete transformation from the inside out. He doesn't want to just change your behavior. He wants to change your heart that will influence all of your behavior, the way that you see the world, the way that you view your relationships. He wants to change it all. One of the oldest definitions of the word metamorphosis dates back to the 1530s, and I love this. It said, to change form or shape, especially by witchcraft. That's in the actual definition. I love that. Isn't that great? I mean, this isn't about something changing just a little bit or shifting to become a tiny bit better. This is complete supernatural transformation, which is fitting when we think about the metamorphosis of a butterfly. We go from this land-crawling, weird caterpillar to a squirmy, mysterious pupa 
to a beautiful, delicate butterfly that flies away. Biologists have documented each stage of that miraculous change and tried to understand how such a complete transformation takes place. And they found something that I think is really beautiful and fascinating. They found that a caterpillar is born with what are called imaginal disks. And these disks are little groups of cells that basically hold the pattern for the body of a butterfly. And they often come in pairs, and so too will be the legs and the wings and the antenna, antennae is the plural of antenna, right? What is it? She's my biologist right there. <laughs> antennae. And they know, biologists have found that inside the chrysalis, the caterpillar essentially digests itself and becomes this protein-rich goo, so gross, except for those imaginal disks. And those disks are what begin the transformation process. And so I believe it's no mistake that Paul used that word here because something very similar happens in our relationship with God. So you can read the Bible and try to modify your behavior, but that is not the transformation that Paul is talking about. The type of transformation available to us is so much deeper. It's so much more mysterious. It comes from a daily relationship with God where you come before him, you sit in the reality of his mercy, of his love for you, and you respond by saying, God, you can have it all. Take my life. Take today. I trust you. I surrender myself to you. And then the concealed, deep, spiritual parts of our hearts that he designed, that he put there from the beginning, they come alive in his presence and they start to drive change in every part of our lives. I love that in a butterfly they're called the imaginal disks because he placed the same thing inside of us. His own image is imprinted on our hearts and on our souls. And that's what he's inviting us into. That's what he's calling us to in his love. And I believe to start that change, he wants to tear away some of the stuff of the world that's just cluttering our souls. It's cluttering our minds. It's taking up real estate in our hearts that's making it hard for us to see the way that leads to life. And so with that picture in mind, let me reread Romans 12, 1 to 2 to you. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. We're going to finish verse 2 next week. But I think one of the most beautiful words in these verses is the word living. See, sacrifice often feels like a death, but it leads to real life. And now in Christ, because of his mercy, we are living sacrifices made holy and pleasing by Christ himself through his mercy. And we are invited into a daily transformation process. And it starts with worship. It starts with an outward expression of the inward trust and allegiance and surrender 
to our God. And then he wants to draw us away from conformity to this world and begin to transform our lives, our desires, our identity, our relationships, everything. And so I want to challenge you to do a couple things this week. The first is to set aside and defend time alone with God every single day. When we think about how we spend our time, how much time are we spending alone with him, asking him to show us the way that leads to life? So the first is to carve out and defend that time alone with him. And the second, I want to encourage you to change verses 1 and 2, to write it out in your own words in the form of a prayer that you can pray at the beginning of that time every day this week. And so that prayer might sound something like this, but I encourage you to put it in your own words. God, because of your great mercy, I offer you my whole life as a sacrifice. Show me today where I am conforming to the world around me and transform me from the inside out by your truth. So will you pray with me? God, that is our prayer today. We are so grateful for your mercy, for your love that you reached down and saved us. And God, the only response that we can bring is to offer you our whole lives as a sacrifice. But sometimes that's hard for us to do. And we need you to show us today ways that we are conforming to the world around us, things that we are filling our hearts and our minds with that are leading us away from you. God, help us to take a step away from those things and to fill our hearts and our minds with your truth instead. Thank you, God, for your love, for your mercy. Thank you that transformation is possible by your spirit. We are so grateful. And so in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen.